So tomorrow is St. Patrick's Day. So we need to just talk a little bit about him, somewhat related to the message. Or not. Um, He was most likely born sometime between 372 and 390 A.D., possibly near Glasgow, Scotland. His parents were leaders of the Christian community in a village called Banavern Tabernay. Patrick did not take the Christianity of his parents seriously. Have you ever heard of that? I mean, can you imagine that? So um, he, one day he was, well, he, he, he just liked having fun with his friends. And one day he was, when he was 16, he was amusing himself near the sea when Irish pirates captured him. They sold Patrick as a slave to an Irish chieftain named Milchu. His job? To care for the chief's sheep. Alone in the fields... With the sheep, Patrick remembered the Christianity of his parents, and he accepted it as, as his own. Later, he writes this, I was 16 years old and did not know the true God, but in that strange land, the Lord opened my unbelieving eyes, and although late, was I called, although late I called my sins to mind and was converted with my whole heart to the Lord my God, who regarded my estate, had pity on my youth and ignorance. I love it when God has pity on our youth and ignorance, don't you? It's awesome. And consoled me as a father consoles his children. The love of God increased more and more in me with faith and the fear of his name. The Spirit urged me to such a degree that I poured forth as many as a hundred prayers in one day. And even during the night in the forest and on the mountains where I kept my flock, the rain and snow and suffering which I endured excited me to seek after God. Six years later, Patrick managed to escape and return to his family. In a dream, he saw Irish children pleading with him to bring the gospel to them. Oh, young man, come back to Aaron and walk once more among us. His heart longed to return to his former captors and share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. He trained for the ministry and returned to Ireland, where despite fierce opposition, he spread the story of Jesus among the pagan tribes and the Irish language he had learned while he was a slave. Now, how we got green beer from that, I don't know. But, <laughs> but that's a better story, I think. So I'm going to read, pray. This is a, um, I don't know for sure if St. Patrick wrote this, but it is attributed to him, and it's called St. Patrick's Breastplate. So just read it. I mean, I will just read it and just let you soak in the language and And uh, it's pretty good. Might even have it up on the screen, maybe. Yeah. I bind unto myself today the strong name of the Trinity by invocation of the same, the three in one and one in three. I bind this today to me forever by power of faith, Christ's incarnation, his baptism in the Jordan River, his death on cross for my salvation, his bursting forth from the spiced tomb, his riding up the heavenly way, his coming at the day of doom, I bind unto myself today. I bind unto myself today the power of God to hold and lead, his his eye to watch, his might to stay, his ear to hearken to my need, the wisdom of my God to teach, 
his hand to guide, his shield to ward, the word of God to give me speech, his heavenly host to be my guard. Christ be with me, Christ within me, Christ behind me, Christ before me, Christ beside me, Christ to win me, Christ to comfort and restore me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ in quiet, Christ in danger, Christ in hearts of all that love me, Christ in mouth of friend and stranger. I bind unto myself the name, the strong name of the Trinity, by invocation of the same, the three in one and one in three, by whom all nature hath creation, eternal Father, Spirit, Word, praise to the Lord of my salvation. Salvation is of Christ the Lord. I like that. Thank you, St. Patrick. Father, we appreciate the fact that the church didn't spring out of nowhere. It's always been in your mind, purchased by the blood of your son, Jesus, redeemed people, gifting us with freedom from sin, forgiveness of sin, righteousness, Christ in us, Christ for us, Christ with us. Would you help us, Father, through the power of the Holy Spirit to understand what Christian leadership is? Through your word, we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So this is actually the last in a series that we've been doing, Commitments of a Healthy Church, or for a Healthy Church. So you can breathe a big sigh of relief. This is going to be very straightforward Picking up where Greg left off last week, if you were here last week, Greg talked about serving, and uh, the text that he included, that he focused on, was from uh, Mark 10. Every follower of Jesus Christ has the privilege and calling to serve the Lord by investing their gifts, their resources, their times, talents, and treasures, all that they are for for Jesus' sake. And... um, They serve God's people and those who are not his people in Jesus' name. So if everyone is to serve the Lord, where is the dividing line between one who is not a leader and who is a leader? Because the text that, that Greg took us to last week from Mark 10, I'll just read a portion of it, Mark 10, verses 42 to 45. The context of this is you might recall that they were saying, a couple of the disciples were saying, hey, Jesus, when you come in your glory, can we sit on your right and left hand? And Jesus said, hey, you don't know what you're asking for. Do you think you're up for the challenge of persecution? Oh, yeah, they said. So he, this is what he said to them in answer. Because they were seeking basically the top-notch positions in the kingdom. And Jesus said to them, You know those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So leadership in the church is not about controlling and domineering God's people by the leader's own authority. It is about being the head servant, the servant of servants, servant leaders in the body of Christ. Even as Christ has not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom. So that's what it is to be a leader. It is to be the servant of servants. It's to be the lead servant. And so we're just going to look at a couple brief texts in the Scripture to understand more about what do leaders do. Okay, we get that they are to be servants, 
But what do leaders do? What's, what is characteristic of leaders in the church? So we'll look at uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 12 to 13. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 12 to 13. And Paul writes this to the Thessalonians. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. So the reason I'm looking at this text to talk about leadership is not because harvest leaders don't get no respect and we need more. We need more accolades. It may be true, but that's not why. Um, basically, what this text does is in a very simple way, it summarizes the essence of the, what does a Christian leader do? What does a leader in the church do? What are we to be doing? And why, why Paul wrote this to them at this particular time was... Um, he and Timothy had founded the church. They'd been with them for a short time, and then they were run out of town. They were persecuted and kicked out. And so they're a young church. They're, how do they recognize the leaders among them? So that's basically why Paul is saying to them, hey, this is how you are to de- determine who are the leaders. Recognize the leaders in your midst. So he starts out by saying, respect those who labor among you. And that word respect literally is the word no, and it carries a sense of, of, uh, to acknowledge, to recognize, to honor, or to respect. And Paul then lists three things which should characterize those recognized as leaders in the church. Basically, he says these three things. Labor, leading, and admonishing. So let's look first at labor. That means hard work. Toilsome, toilsome labor. Toil tirelessly. Over and over again, that word refers to labors that are... Uh, of, of the servant leaders of God's church. So, one mark of true leaders are those who exert great effort in serving the Lord. It shouldn't be surprising. It should be hard work, and we should work hard in serving the Lord. He's worth serving with hard work. Whether it's in teaching, shepherding, leading community groups, or administrating, planning, leading, uh, building, planning things, organizing, scheduling, leading in music, leading usher teams, Music, tech support, managing finances, leading in outreach and mission, youth and children. You get the point. So we need leaders to serve in those areas. And that means hard work. Secondly, not only are they to work hard, but they are over you in the Lord. That word literally means to stand before, and it just carries the meaning of to lead. So leaders, you may be shocked to know this, they lead. So if, if you don't take anything else away from this message, you can take that away. So they, um, basically it means they direct, they give help, they give aid. Uh, help and leadership go together because what are we doing if we're not helping God's people to grow in Christ and to know him and to serve him? So help and leadership blend together in that one word. And we do that by teaching, by modeling, and providing context for that to take place. And, of course, Paul says that we do this. They are over you. Leaders are over you in the Lord. They're not over you in their own authority. They're not over, over you because of their persuasive personalities and so on. They're over you in the Lord because of their relationship with the Lord and because you are God's people. God appoints leaders to be over you in the Lord. 
So they're to lead people into ever-deepening relationship with Jesus and equipping them to serve Jesus. And the authority they have is for building up the church. So they labor, they're over you in the Lord, and they admonish. Basically, that word means to instruct or to warn, or uh, it means to rebuke at times. So we get to instruct, we get to warn, we get to rebuke. And by the way, leaders aren't the only ones to do that. If you have your Bibles open, which even though we put verses on the screen, you should always have your Bible or your phone with your Bible handy. Because in that next verse, Paul says to all of them, and we urge you, brethren, admonish. So admonishing is not uh, the right or the privilege only of leadership. Warning, encouragement, counsel. We're all to be doing that for one another. We just, leaders take the lead role in that in modeling how to do that for others. All right, so that's a very brief Introduction. Now we're going to move to Acts 20, 28 to get a little bit more specific in a text that has specifically to do with elders, but it also includes uh, uh, all leaders in some sense. Acts 20, 28. And actually, I'm off base. I'm not leading you very well this morning. Sorry. We need to say a little bit more about 1 Thessalonians 5, 13. I was so excited to get to Acts 20. So back up. This, this is a test to see if you follow the leader, even if he leads you astray, just for a short time. Come back. If they're self-correcting, that's good. So verse 13, once again, he's talking about esteeming or valuing leaders. He says, esteem them highly. In other words, hold them in the highest regard, in love. Why does Paul say that they're to regard them highly in love? He says, because of their work. So uh, they're to regard them highly in love as they would a family member who sacrificially labors for his or her family. So like you love your mother. Mothers are notoriously self-sacrificing. They don't get a lot of great press. And they work hard and we value them because of who they are and what they do. And so that's that kind of family esteeming highly but in love. Uh, leadership and followership is are in love with each other. Should be. That's what it says. And that's not foreign to uh, how God works. In the Trinity, there's submission and authority. The Son submits to the Father in love. The Father loves the Son. Christ lays down His life for the church in love. The church submits to Christ in love so that authority and submission and love blend together in God's way of being, and that's how He uh, shapes His church. So leaders and lovingly lead the church in the Lord, and the church follows the leaders in love, and oh, we're just so in love, aren't we? You say, don't push it. All right, so that's what the Bible says. So role and relationship are intertwined with what they do and that we have a love relationship in Christ together. So the church's regard for their leaders is not based upon status or position, but because of their work. You know, the more you get involved with the life and ministry of the church, the more you see how things go, the more you see the labors of those who are leaders. And the, the value in that is over the years, I've heard people, after getting involved in certain areas of ministry, say things like, I had no idea what all this leader or this, this leadership team had to put into making this happen. So community group leaders, what they put into leading their groups, high school and middle school, man, what they put into praying and planning and thinking and, and all that they go through for that, it's awesome. And we can go on down the list, Sunday morning activities, evening kids ministry, elder team, worship arts, uh, tech, sound, and video, young life, office staff. So hard work in the Lord, 
We don't serve the Lord in order to win the accolades of people. And again, my goal in saying this is not to brag about how hard we work because there's lots of hard workers that aren't specifically uh, within the church or for the church. But it is to say that that, that goes together. Um, I'm just affirming that Paul says here about the value of working hard in the Lord for building up the church. And finally, he says in verse 13, be at peace among yourselves. So healthy leadership and healthy followership should produce peace in the church. You may have experienced or heard of really bad uh, train wrecks where leaders or followers are against one another and there's fighting and infighting and outfighting and all over the place fighting. And that's not good. That's not healthy. Conflicts, yes, but they can be worked through in a healthy way. And so uh, that is why Paul includes us. Hey, be at peace with one another. So the text is emphasized that church leaders are those who labor hard, who lead in the Lord and instruct. Now we're going to look. Now we really are going to Acts 20.28. So I tell you the truth this time. Acts 20.28. And in this, Paul is a busy guy. He's in a hurry to leave Greece and to get to Jerusalem by Pentecost. He also wants to meet the leaders of the church in Ephesus, which is in present western Turkey on the way there. But he can't stay because he's busy. He knows if he goes and hangs out with them, he's going to stay too long. You've been in that situation before. I really want to visit, spend time with these people, but if I go there, I'm going to spend too long, but I want to see him. So Paul decides to meet them for coffee in a place called Miletus. And so he calls out the church leaders, the elders of the church, and, and he has a lot to say to them. But we're going to look at verse 28 in particular to remind them of their responsibilities and challenges as elders. So by the way, we have elders here at Harvest. Um, I think most of you know them, but I'd just like to ask everybody here who's an elder, like Roy and Frank and Bob, and Dean, just to stand, just to make sure you know who they are. If you're newer here, you might not know. There they are. Those are your elders. Roy, Dean, Frank, and Bob. And I get to hang out with them as well. By the way, this week on Jeopardy, they asked a question, who, what is the, something like the role of the lead teaching leaders in the church? And none of them got it. And the answer was elders. So you all are smart. If you had been on Jeopardy, you could have taken away big bucks, but you didn't. You weren't there. So to some extent, this is true of all church leaders. It's more required of elders, but because the overall purpose of caring for the body is shepherding and leading the body, this uh, relates to other leaders that are not labeled elders as well. First thing he says to them, pay careful attention to yourself. I'll just read the, the verse. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the, ch- all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So the first thing leaders need to lead is themselves. You can't lead others if you can't lead yourself. So at the very minimum, that means that you need to be a spiritually disciplined person in terms of prayer and the word of God and handling your, your life. It's just good to have those disciplines in place. Um, it means they must ensure that they are living godly lives because how they live impacts the whole church. It trickles down as, as I hate to say this, but I can say it pretty comfortably. 
as, as goes the leadership, so goes the church. So you got that going for you? So all the more reason to pray for us as leaders. They need to be living godly, Christ-honoring, spiritually disciplined lives. Holiness is not a nice option for church leaders. It is the number one requirement that our lives are reflective of, of the character of Christ. They may be highly gifted communicators or as leaders and managers or be great visionaries or have charismatic personalities, but if they don't live godly lives, they're not qualified to lead Christ's church. And you've also heard horror stories along this way. Church has been decimated by moral failures of leaders in areas of sexuality, uh, financial dishonesty, and hyper-authoritarian abusiveness and other nasty things like that. So that ought not to be. But unfortunately, it does happen. Does this mean church leaders must be sinless and perfect and we'd all be fired, as you know, if that was the case? Don't, don't be so zealous for that, Dean. Man. It does mean a leader can't have significant recurring areas of sin in his life that he's not overcoming. You know, leaders are supposed to be growing and overcoming areas of weakness in their lives. So not perfection, but direction. And that's true for all of us. It's just more required of leaders that we take the lead role in growing and overcoming areas of weakness in our lives. And because no leader is omnicompetent, he or she must be able to work with those whose strengths complement his weakness. So, because I'm mostly weak, there's lots of opportunity to surround myself with people who have other strengths that I don't have. And thankfully, the Lord has brought those people to us. It means we can't, uh, also the leader can't be teaching what contradicts the scriptures. I told you this is going to be very straightforward, just stating the obvious. We've got to represent the Bible. The Bible is our textbook. Nothing can contradict the scripture, especially in what we teach, and as well as what we do. We must live lives and demonstrate what it means to trust and treasure Christ. Uh, this is, I'll mention this text. It's not on the screen. Remember your leaders. This is Hebrews 3, 7, who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Interesting, he says, imitate their faith. So those who teach you, those who've led you in the past, he's talking about, uh, look at their lives, consider the outcome of their life, and imitate their faith. How do we look to Christ when we fail? Because sometimes leaders fail. Have you noticed? Everybody's afraid to nod their heads. Um, when we succeed in family struggles, in work, in health issues, how do we trust the Lord in those situations? Christ must be the leader's number one passion, number one loyalty. We should be able to learn what it means to follow Christ by how leaders live. And because we have multiple, multiple leaders, it's, you get little pictures, snapshots of how they do it. Thankfully, it's not all requisite on me because otherwise we'd be in massive trouble, but we have multiple leaders. Church leaders must be those who are growing in Christ to help followers grow in Christ. So that's about the, the, uh, keep paying careful attention, keeping watch, keeping on the lookout, being alert for ourselves, and we're supposed to do that for the church, the whole flock, it says. Leaders are to do that. Uh, pay careful attention to all the flock. Keep on the lookout. Be alert for, be on guard for the whole church. In the same way that church leaders are to pay close attention to guard our own spiritual lives, so are we to pay close attention to and guard the church. Leaders, and particularly elders, are to keep close watch on the flock. 
So we need to know, are you growing? How, you, how are you growing? How's it going? How are you growing? What are you struggling with? What are your joys? And we'll talk a little bit more about that shortly. So we're to pay careful attention to the flock because the Holy Spirit has made or appointed leaders as overseers, particularly elders. This means the Holy Spirit has so worked in their lives as to equip or prepare them to give oversight to God's church. They desire the work, even though it seems crazy, even though they may be intimidated by it. The Holy Spirit compels them into it. Others recognize the signs of the Spirit of God equipping them for that task of giving oversight. So the purpose of giving oversight, Paul says, is to care for. That word is to shepherd, to care for, to shepherd. To shepherd God's flock. The word means to lead, provide for, help, protect, guide. Since God's church is not composed of actual bleating, grass-munching, smelly sheep, what does it mean to practically to give spiritual oversight by shepherding the church? So the two main categories that everything else fits under is prayer and the word of God. Prayer and the word of God. That's what we deal with. That's what, that permeates everything that we're about. Everything else that we do, prayer and the word of God must fuel and guide all shepherding. So we might put uh, summarize shepherding under these four categories. There's other ways you could put it. We'll just say these four. Knowing, feeding, leading, and protecting. So first of all, to shepherd the flock, you've got to know the flock. You've got to know God's people. Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. So leaders need to know those in the churches to shepherd them. So ways we seek to do that for you at Harvest is through Sunday conversations, during the week conversations, participation in community groups, serving in other areas of giftedness. So sometimes we have our main tasks that we're to do, and then we all have spiritual gifts that take us into other areas of ministry. So, for example, Frank is an elder, but you see him sometimes acting crazy up front. Um, mostly you see him working behind the information desk. He also teaches kids. So, uh, and we all get to do those kinds of things. We have our main role, and we have other things that, that we get involved with as leaders. So that's how we get to know the flock. We get to know the flock by serving, by being around them, by being in community groups. You know, we can't all know everybody really well but we can all know some people well. And then staff and elder teams uh, share prayer requests and things that are appropriate to share. So we, we help others know others the way we know them. So it's a, it's a work in progress, but uh, leaders are to know the people they shepherd. So we do continue to seek you to let us know uh, what your prayer needs are. You can do that through About You. You can do that through Prayer Chain. You can do that by, hey, grabbing one of us and saying, I need prayer. When we invite you to pray after the service, those kinds of things. So not only do leaders need to know the flock, but they need to feed the flock. So when Jesus was restoring Peter to his leadership role, the interview question was what? Peter, do you love me? And the answer was each time when Peter said, yes, you know I do, then Jesus said, Feed my sheep. He was telling Peter, teach the word. Feed people with spiritual food. Feed my people with the word of Christ, the word of God. 
So we get to do that. We preach on Sunday. We teach on Sunday. Kids in middle school, harvest kids on Sunday evening, high school, middle school, youth on Wednesdays, community groups at various times throughout the week. Other groups meet for focused studies, women's groups, men's groups, and so on. Then, not only is it knowing, feeding, it is also leading. That's not micromanaging how you follow Christ, but providing ways we as a church can focus our efforts to obey Jesus together through using our time, talents, and treasures. It's like, come with me and help me do this. Be with me as I do this. So we involve you in ministry. Uh, Sometimes you get grabbed and pulled into the nursery. Sometimes you get grabbed and pulled into other things, but mostly we like for you to volunteer. But it works both ways. So we have um, decisions that are made, mission and ministry decisions by staff and elders to provide the direction, structure, and resources, coordinating budget and calendar so we can be good stewards of our planning, resources, and time, and so on. We're sheep with a mission. Bottom line, leaders are to lead us to fulfill Ephesians 4, 12 to 13, which says, Christ gave leaders to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood and measure the stature of the fullness of Christ. So we all are responsible for ministering, for building up the body, to attain to unity and faith and knowledge of Jesus, to maturity. We're all in this together. And leaders are to help you be a part of that process. And then the fourth thing besides knowing, feeding, and leading is protecting. What are ways the church needs to be protected? Well, in uh, verses 29 and 30 of this chapter, uh, Paul warns that fierce wolves would invade the church seeking to devour the flock. In other words, that false teachers and those who are just domineering, sometimes pe- people bring in false teachings, sometimes they bring in false Agendas. They, they may not be teaching directly false things, but they come in with these power play agendas, trying to bring uh, people to follow them for some kind of extreme, out-of-balance uh, doctrines and so on. So those can be wolves. There are cultural wolves you might need protection from. So, for example, uh, distortions of God's design for sexuality and marriage. It's a big one today. Uh, religion of naturalistic evolutionary science, which is not... Science is not equal, naturalistic, evolutionary. And uh, there are religious wolves, such as God's love equals tolerance of everything, no matter what it is. Or God just wants you to be happy, whatever you do, and feel good about yourself. That's all God is in it for, is for you feeling good about yourself, is another religious wolf teaching. Or it doesn't matter what you believe, just as long as you're sincere. And, of course, there are cults that have the outward appearance of Christianity, but deny or distort True is essential to the gospel. So wolves, to protect from wolves. And the reason that we're to do that is Christ has obtained the church, God has obtained the church with his own blood. So that very last phrase in in, uh, verse 28 makes very clear that the church does not belong to leaders but to God. God purchased, God obtained the church with his own blood, the blood of his son Jesus Christ, the blood of his own Jesus no higher price could be paid. God paid the redemption price for his church by the death of his own son. As 
John wrote in Revelation 5.9, Worthy are you, the Lamb of God, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every nation. So the church, we are a ransomed people. Jesus has paid the price to redeem us, to make us God's own people. So we don't have ownership. Leaders don't have ownership. It's God's people. That God obtained the church for his, with his own blood is shorthand for the gospel. It's just another way of summing up the gospel. There's lots of ways to sum up the gospel. So what is the primary responsibility of leaders in the church? To keep the gospel central to everything the church is and does. Keep the gospel central to everything the church is and does. Because that's how we know Christ. It's not just Jesus, whoever we conceive him to be. It's the gospel that tells us who Jesus is for us, what he's done for us. So that's why we say in our mission statement, we exist to make disciples for for Jesus Christ from all peoples through God, gospel-centered mission, growth, and community. The task of leaders is not to help you become good moral people, though we hope you are becoming good moral people in obedience to Christ. It's not to uh, provide fun activities or to give points for your spiritual checklist. It is to teach, counsel, care for, and lead you in gospel-centered mission, growth, and community in Christ. Paul described himself as a servant of Christ, and he equated that with serving the gospel and preparing people as an offering to God. So serving Christ equals being a servant of the gospel, and the result of that is preparing a people as a gift to God. And he's already bought us, but he gives us the privilege of downloading the gospel into our lives, seeping the gospel into our lives. That's what shapes us and prepares us for God's final and full redemption of us. So, what is the gospel? What is this gospel that we are to be centered on as leaders? It is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, took on human nature in addition to being God so that he could obey God in our place, suffer and die for our sins, be raised again in victory over sin and death for us, to ascend in glory to God the Father, so that all who believe in him could have eternal life, and to send the Holy Spirit to empower the church to make disciples for Jesus until he returns in glory to judge all sin and evil and to establish a new heavens and new earth in everlasting righteousness. That is the gospel that we are to be centered upon as leaders. In other words, leaders are pointers to Jesus. Leaders are to show and teach you to trust Jesus, to seek Jesus, to long for Jesus, to live for Jesus, to repent toward Jesus, to be loyal to Jesus, to be committed to Jesus' people, to talk about Jesus, to love Jesus, to serve Jesus. We're just supposed to be obsessed and consumed with Jesus. That's what it is to be gospel-centered. I'd like to close our time in praying for all of the leaders. And so I know that some of you are going to be humble. You're not going to want to do this, but I do want to ask you to stand. If you are a leader at all, in any shape, that means you're elder, staff leader, Sunday school teacher, community group leader. This is not about extolling you. It's about giving you recognition. And so we know who we're targeting our prayers for. So I'd like to ask everybody who's a leader in any sense to stand if you're a mission leader, a mission group leader, whatever you do that helps others follow Christ, don't be overly humble. 
Otherwise, you're going to wreck this whole thing. No. All right, so most of you are standing. I see a few who are still hanging back. We'll pray for you anyway. Father, thank you for sending Jesus Christ who came not to be served but to serve and give his life a ransom for many by which he purchased us out of sin's slavery and into the fullness of your redeeming grace. You've told us that you've designed for the church as the body of Christ to be serving one another, to be serving those outside the church, serving those within the church. And within that, you've appointed leaders. You didn't give us a template. You didn't give us a job description exactly the way that we might do it today with director of this or pastor of that and all of those things. You just said God's people are to be shepherded. They are to be known. They are to be fed and led and protected. That's a kind of scary thing because we don't have what it takes in ourselves. We, in fact, all we'll do is deplete the health of the flock of God. If it was just our own strength, at the very least, that's all the best we could do. But because of your grace that you poured down in us through the gospel of Christ, because of the Holy Spirit who calls us into serving in various roles, who gifts us to serve. We have hope that our labors are not in vain. Thank you, Father, for an example like Patrick of Ireland, who was first forced into slavery, then he was redeemed by Jesus, and then he heard the call of Jesus and made himself voluntarily a slave, a servant of the gospel for the very people who had kidnapped him in the beginning. Father, we, left to ourselves, are slaves of something. Our jobs, things in the world, money, whatever, position, drugs, alcohol, whatever those things are. And then you rescue us out of that, and then you send us back into the world to shape your people, to call people to yourself through Christ, and to build them up in the gospel of Christ. I thank you, Father, for each person here, period. I thank you, Father, that they recognize the need to come together as your people. Not just what gathering on Sunday, I mean, we, we do do that, but they recognize that there is a life that we must share together. And we do that within our culture by gathering and serving together and meeting together. And then I thank you, Father, that you have freed up some to be leaders in particular, community group leaders, staff leaders, elders, leaders in other areas of ministry. I thank you so much, Father, for each person. I pray, Father, you will give us wisdom and grace and heart for the work when we're discouraged. Would you be our encouragement, our strength, our help? Would you give us joy in serving Christ? 
would you cause our labors to be effective for building up the church and calling lost people to yourself? Thank you, Father, for the privilege of being the servant of Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.